This is Matt Shea continuing with our J6 special here. And with me today, I'm honored to have Pam Hempel, who's the MAGA granny. And I, I just, I love the fact that the guests that we're having on today just cross all different kind of socioeconomic age demographics. It wasn't just young people that went to the American Gulag. There were also people that were of the Abraham generation, as we like to say it at On Fire Ministries. So Pam, thank you for joining me. Also, thank you for your courage as well. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, tell us a little bit about your story. What happened? Well, actually, it goes back to 2016, but anyway. Um, let's start where I w the day I was there. Yeah, perfect. Let's start with the day you were there. Yeah. Why, why did you show up in Washington, D.C.? Well, I don't know if people know this, but I was following Ammon Bundy for a long time, and I got involved in politics. And I heard about, you know, the Stop the Steal, and... I was scheduled to go for surgery because I have breast cancer. But my brother said, before you uh, do that, why don't, I mean, start by chemotherapy. Why don't you go see Trump? It may be the last time for a while. And I thought, great idea. And I could run around and see the White House and just have fun. I'm a citizen journalist for Boise, Idaho. And that's all I've been doing anyway is covering Ammon Bundy and a lot of other political events that were going on in Boise, Idaho. So I thought this would be a great opportunity. Plus, people in uh, Boise, Idaho, couldn't get there. So I had a big following on Facebook. So I thought I'd go there and just videotape everything. And, and in the morning, it was beautiful. I, I couldn't get through the crowd, though, to hear Trump. It was just too big. And I just had surgery, so I thought I better not get in a crowd like that. But I'd heard that he was going up to the Capitol. Some uh, news reporters weren't sure about that. Some people weren't sure, but then I ran into some people said, yeah, I think that's what I heard. So I, I started walking up there so I could be the first one there to videotape. And then I ran into the Proud Boys and I walked with them for 45 minutes. And that's my mission right now to help the Proud Boys. And uh, after that, I stayed up front. I wasn't on the violent side. Now, I was on the other side, but the two sides go together as far as the puzzle goes of what really happened that day. It was a setup on the other side. So let's uh, talk about that. Yeah, but, let's talk about that. What happened? On my side? Yeah, on your side. The side I was on? Yes. Okay, well, William, Dun William Dunphy, don't forget that name. Look him up. He's been arrested, but he wasn't arrested until recently. He was up there with the bullhorn, and uh, some of his fellows were also, also with the Proud Boys trying to talk the Proud Boys into following them up there to that stage, but they wouldn't have anything to do with it. But they were up there making it look like we were all going to go to the steps. On my video, I have all this on video, um, he's negotiating with one of the black Capitol Police officers, and they both make you feel like there's going to be a negotiation uh, where we could, they'd open the gates and we could go to the steps. So I was excited. We're all going to go to the steps. Everybody can just stay on the steps and talk, you know, First Amendment. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, that William Dunfrey, I really believe, is another Epps, and he's not talked about it enough. But he, he starts pushing the gates and pushing the officers, and the officer saw me panicking, so he pulled me behind him, and they said, go to the captain. I went to the captain. Then the captain told me, go to the police officers. I'm sorry, the captain 
the capital officers behind them. I'll call in and tell them you're coming because I told them I had stitches. I had to stay out of this crazy crowd. They're coming at me like a buffalo. I couldn't make it up there because the crowd, which were Antifa, stepped all over me. They cut my knee, broke my glasses, stepped on my head, pulled out my shoulder, and then another officer pulled me behind me. And in my court records, the prosecutor said that I took from the officer's duty that day to help me. Well, yeah, they should have got me medical care. I needed it. I couldn't breathe. I, I kept telling the officer, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And she's yelling at me. But I stood there for a while. I mean, sat down for about a half hour to get my breath and kept videotaping. Then I stopped, walked around and videotaped some more. And then I got to the door and I saw two officers on both sides. And I thought, everybody's coming in and out. Now, in my video, you'll see these people coming out of the very high profile people. But I didn't know who they were at the time. I didn't even know there was another violence going on on the other side of the Capitol. But I, you know, I didn't know about that at that time. But I got shoved in. And in my video, I said, oh, my God, I got shoved in. What do I do? And I sat down. And the court records, my uh, charges were parading and picketing inside the Capitol. And the video shows you I'm not parading. I'm sitting down. And an officer helped me out. He helped me get out because I told him I had stitches. I can't be in a crowd like this. They got That I got pushed in. Nothing mattered in court. They just used me as an example. That's so all. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what happened afterwards. You, know, you, you go home, I presume. You think probably everything's all right, and then people are starting to get arrested. Did you start to get worried at that point? Or, I mean, what did you think? Oh, no, that night. Well, in fact, before I left, I saw the Buffalo man there, and I videotaped him. And me and him together tried to get people to leave. I protected the door. We were trying to get people to leave because this man was trying to steal a book out of the window that somebody broke. And I told him, put it back. <laughs> but I got all this on video. Uh, but when I got uh, to my motel room, all my, the people I knew at that motel room were telling me they're going to arrest everybody. I said, oh, my God. Well, I'm going to turn myself in because they pushed me in and I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. But I called Idaho State Police because they know me here. The, the two that guard, uh, Jeff and Mike, they guard the governor. And yeah. they know me. Everybody knows me. The police officers know me by name here. And I said, what do I do, Mike? I'm scared. I, I got video. I got helped out by an officer. I even gave the officer my card with my number on it because I said, I don't break laws. You know that. And he says, don't worry about it, Mr. Bill. You're fine. Just go home and relax. Don't even worry about it. Well, I, I did because I kept hearing all the stories. And uh, so I went and saw a lawyer. This is what's really it's like out of a movie. You're not going to believe this. I got a referral for this lawyer from the People's Rights because he'd been helping a lot of them. Come to find out he was an FBI agent and he had put my tapes in a, you know those boxes, uh, glass boxes for fire extinguisher on the wall? Yeah, yeah. He put them behind there for, for me to go get them. And he says, I think they're more after your videos than anything else. I said, well, they can have them, I don't care. I don't hide anything. But uh, yeah, then uh, I think it took him eight months to finally come here to my door, seven agents. Me and my little chihuahua. <laughs> and if you look at my if you look at my record, I don't even have a parking ticket. I'm an alcoholic drug counselor. I've been sober in Alcoholics Anonymous for 43 years. I don't break any laws. Everybody knows me. But maybe that's why they treated me nice, because I said, I'm not going anywhere. 
Mr. FBI. <laughs> I sat down and I vape. I vape. So I said, I'm vaping because I've never been to jail. And this is scaring the hell out of me. What did I do wrong anyway? He says, well, we got these four charges and you'll be out in three hours. Well, I got out in three hours. So thank God. But so my whole case is a nightmare. With? Yeah. What did they end up charging you with? Uh, picketing and parading inside the Capitol, which my video shows you I'm not picketing parading. They didn't care. The whole case was about what I said. I said, let's go in the house. I said, it's our house. I was saying uh, Trump won. <laughs> and that they really brought up. They brought up everything I said. I was bipartisan. Give me a break. What do you think I'm there for? <laughs> it was insane. There was, no, it, there was nothing that I did that they really had me on, except for being inside the Capitol. I so mean, tell us, tell me us a, a little bit about the case. Yeah, let's t tell us a little bit about the case. What happened in court? Well, well, as far as that lawyer that I first saw, the prosecutor and my attorney cannot find him. I've got his car. Uh, they can't find him. He would have been a good witness. And then the ISP wouldn't be a witness for me. But the whole case was uh, all about what I said and I never got a chance. They send you all these accusations. I mean, stuff that I didn't even remember I did or said from my videos. And you have to counteract it. Well, I never got that put in court. It wasn't even allowed in court, my side of the story. It was never heard. It, the judge said at the end, because of a lady that went out to the news right before her court and talked terrible, he said, I don't trust you guys. So I a price needs to be paid. So he, he said, I made a bad mistake with her by just giving her probation. So I need to show people that uh, the seriousness of, of what you guys did. It's court transcripts say a little bit different. This is what I remember, kind of. Uh, so I got, <laughs> I got 60 days prison in the worst prison. It's number two in the United States as the worst prison. Now, remember, the judge could only make recommendations, which he did for a medical facility because I'm still under the care for cancer, but they didn't send me there. They didn't give me a group home. They put me in the worst prison in the United States in a unit. Now, I was supposed to be sent to the camp. The camp is so free, you can take uh, other inmates to the airport. That's how free that, that camp is. They put me in a unit with 95% women that are cartel, all cartel. And the lady that's been there 28 years, my beautiful Michelle West is a Muslim lady, said she found out what they're up to. And she said, Miss Hippel, listen to me. Their plans is to keep you here. And I said, keep me here? What are they going to do, kill me? No, they're going to put drugs in your room or your water, have you under the influence or something, and they're going to give you four to seven more years charge. But she says, don't worry. I've been here long enough. I'll protect you. You're, you're going to get out of here, and you're going to tell your story. Wow. So God was with me. Yeah, God, God was with you. So uh, tell the story about some of the other prisoners that you interacted with that were there. I mean, what, can you describe a little bit in detail the conditions uh, that, you were, that you were in? Oh, with the food, you don't want to feed it to a starving dog. And I'm not kidding. There's mold on it. Uh, you know how they, they told me in my letter, don't worry about bringing in toothpaste or shampoo or soap. Well, you don't get any of that. It's, it's kind of set up where the, the inmates bring you this stuff, 
They give you a little of this and a little of that. You don't even get a cup or a spoon. Um, and then later they say you owe them. And so it's almost like they're helping the inmates, you know. Um, all, all the inmates there are having affairs with each other. The warden uh, ended up going to prison just when I got in there. I found this out. He had just been arrested. He's been sentenced, though, for molesting and raping the girls. However, what I learned from the lifer that helped me, these women do this on purpose because they get out of prison if they could prove that they were raped or molested by a guard. It's a setup. It's not true. Maybe they do have sex with them, but they're not raping them. These are volunteer. These women are volunteering. And the lady told me the story, and I said, you know, you probably told the wrong person because I don't keep secrets. You know, that was wrong what you did. I confronted her. I'm lucky I'm alive because that was wrong. So There's a nightmare in there. In the last few minutes that we have left, Pam, can you tell everybody watching today what we should take away from what happened on January 6th and more importantly, what happened after January 6th with everybody that showed up there? Uh, what should Americans learn as a lesson out of this? Because this really is becoming, I think, a day of memorial to never forget uh, what happened there. What should Americans really take away? And also, how can they pray for you? Oh, thank you. No, to pray for our nation. Look, at January 6th was the launching pad for a communist regime, period. It's just the launching pad. Now they can come after Americans. And they set us up with the covert, the same thing. Now they can have control because this is all they want is control. They want to take over this nation. I don't think I'm crazy. I hope you agree with me. But, um January 6th, people like me are just the pawns. We're nothing. And the Proud Boys is who I'm really trying to back right now because they're example of what they're trying to do to anybody that comes up against them. It's not about the Proud Boys. It's not about Mega Granny or any other J6er. This is about their power, and they want to show you that they're in charge, and they're going to take over this country, but not over my dead body. People like you and me are going to keep standing up and keep fighting for this country. And that's what I want you to do. Don't be afraid of talking. Look, at I'm on probation. I'm taking a big risk. But you know what? This country is worth it. It's worth it. Don't be afraid. God's going to be with you. God is going to be with you. Pam Hempel, thank you so much for joining me on Patriot Radio today. God bless you. Oh, thank keep, you. Keep up the fight, okay? Okay, you too. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Pam Hempel, MAGA Granny. You can follow her on Twitter, and she also has a Give, Send, Go if you want to support her. Twitter, again, Pam Hempel, MAGA Granny. And uh, now I think we are ready for our next guest, Brian Mock. He was released after one year in prison there. We're going to have him tell his story as well. And again, we're having the opportunity to share stories across generations and different uh, socioeconomic uh, status because this affected all types of Americans who believed and love freedom. And, and the fact that we have political prisoners in America today, people that, you know, people disagreed with them and now they're, they're using the force of government as a weapon. And really, I think this is kind of central behind the fight that we're in in regards to who's going to be Speaker of the House because a lot of people are saying, hey, enough is enough of the status quo. They're upsetting the paradigm and saying, we want something new. We want actual, real, meaningful change. And we want to see all of the video released 
from January 6th, we want to see the absolute details of the federal involvement with January 6th. And I, I would go even one step further. January 5th, what was Vice President Pence briefed on in the morning of January 5th? And why did he not act to protect the United States of America? That's a bigger question for a separate episode, but I think we're ready right now. Brian, can you hear me all right? Is he on, Travis, or no? So we're going to continue. I, January 5th was the key day. Bringing together what happened on the election day and then knowing that, that there were people at the highest levels of government that, that were privy to information about serious questions and details about the election irregularities in 2020. Why have we not seen all of the video, but more importantly, again, on January 5th, why have we not heard what was actually briefed to the president and the vice president and U.S. senators about the election and the fact that these irregularities deserved more investigation? And we're seeing it happen right now in Arizona with Kerry Lake. Massive Massive irregularities, massive shutdowns and, and problems at polling stations, massive amounts of people that were disenfranchised. Clearly, clearly, we should at least investigate. I mean, this is the voting system. I mean, this is the most, this is the most key thing in our republic, and, and we have to trust that there's integrity there. But similar to the 1840s and the 1850s, seeing right now that the people in America have had enough. And just like the 1840s and 1850s, now the speaker vote is going to multiple ballots. I, I believe last count I had before we went on today was nine failed votes for Kevin McCarthy. We're seeing right now that this country has a group of people that are hell-bent on destroying it, communists and their sympathizers, quite literally in America, and as Sam Faddis has brought up in many of his articles in AM Magazine, how compromised is even the President of the United States himself? We don't even know. We don't even know. But we should be asking the questions. We should be investigating. We shouldn't be afraid to speak up. In fact, we should be speaking up in every possible way. We got some very courageous people coming on Patriot Radio today talking about J6. And they're putting their, their lives, their careers on the line to do this. And when I was in the legislature for 12 years, this is what I did. And, you know, in regards to what happened down in Nevada, a whistleblower came forward about what happened at Bundy Ranch. We went live on YouTube, 250,000 views later, Ammon Bundy is walking out of jail, exonerated. So we, we need to absolutely stand up at this moment in time because there's something called the spiral of silence. The more silent you are, the higher the price it is to speak later. So we want to speak up now so the price is cheaper later for everybody else to speak up and we can preserve liberty and freedom for the next generation. All right, I think we've got Brian Mock on finally. Brian, it's great to have you on Patriot Radio today. Um, thank you for your courage, number one, and welcome. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your story. 
Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think like everybody, it's uh, absolutely surreal. Um, about, well, we're 18 months now. Uh, I got picked up in ju- uh, July of last year. Well, two yeah, years ago now, I guess. So. Um, <laughs> they're all flowing together. So. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We got, there we go. Okay. Got you now. So just go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about like your story, what happened uh, on on January 6th, a little bit of the precursor leading up to, we've only got a few minutes, so go ahead. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, obviously I'd seen everything that was going on and really I kind of wanted to, to obviously lend my support um, to the lawmakers that were asking to, to be an audit of what happened, uh, you know, with the election. And, um, me and a couple people came down, made the drive from Minnesota. Um, we, everything was peaceful up until the point that we walked up, uh, the sidewalk to the Capitol and uh, walked into a whole bunch of officers attacking people who had been peaceful up until that point. Um, we were quite literally begging officers to stop. Um, there are plenty of points where people are going, Hey, we're, we're not here to fight you. Um, you know, just, just back off. And they were literally just shooting people. I watched old men and women getting beat around me. Um, you know, flashbangs are going off. I'm getting hit with flashbangs and it went from zero to, you know, what felt like a war zone in a second on the lower West Terrace. And, um, they eventually had left. And, and for us, that was it. And when we left, um, you know, we immediately we, we see stuff on the TV, of course, and we're going, hey, wait a minute. This is not what we saw there at all. And that narrative has persisted ever since. Um, fast forward six months later, I never thought I'd actually get picked up for something. Um, I get brought in and in Minnesota, I go in front of a magistrate and she releases me. They appealed that. I never actually got out of jail. They appealed it to the chief judge in uh, D.C. who basically went full Rachel Maddow on me and uh, decided that I was the worst of the worst and uh, locked me up, held me pre-trial. And it took me a full year. I had fired my attorney, represented myself, uh, fought with the courts and the, the D.C. jail to actually be able to file motions. And it took me a full year to get a bond motion in front of my judge to actually get out uh, last May. So what did um, they actually charge you with? I mean, what was the, the, the and it might have been multiple charges, but go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I've got nine of them. Um, there's two alleged assaults. Um, <laughs> they're, they're quite questionable. Uh, the way that they've charged a lot of us is basically taken still frame pictures from videos and built an entire narrative around them. Um, one of which they tried to claim that I had kicked an officer, um, though the FBI themselves refused to characterize what the DOJ was saying was a kick was literally my foot off the ground. Um, and they, to date, they've never been able to ID an officer or show any point where I actually touched this officer yet. They were able to get an indictment and charge me for assault, um, without anybody saying that I did anything and no video that shows that I actually touched anybody. Uh, quite the contrary, they, they, through the whole process there, I was actually helping pick people up off the ground who had fallen. Um, but they still proceeded with that. Um, so, yep, they, they have done that with a number of people where they've literally just come up with their own narrative based on still frames 
And there's actually been a number of charges that have been dropped when lawyers have been able to prove that they didn't actually do what uh, the DOJ is claiming they did, um, nor did they have anybody in the FBI coming to the DOJ and saying people did this. They're literally just creating a whole narrative based on still frame photos that aren't true in many, many cases. Wow. I want to yep. make sure we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, what is a message that you have for America uh, on this anniversary of January 6th? I mean, what should America's, Americans be taking away from this? And uh, I really see this day now as a memorial to never let something like this happen again, where we have people going into an American gulag, uh, as Tim Rivers puts it. Yep. Um, well, there's, there's a heck of a lot of takeaways. The, the biggest for me right now is that you, you, no, nobody in America has actually seen the truth of what happened on January 6th. Um, in order to get our discovery, we have to sign a piece of paper that says that we will not release any of the information that exists there to the public, um, which is wrong unto itself. But what they're doing is they're literally taking these 14,000 hours of video and pulling out snippets to create their own narrative and refusing to let the world see the rest of it. And they, re they refuse to release any of the, the documents. There's a million pages worth of documents. I've seen them because I represented myself. I'm one of the few Jan Sixers who has actually seen a majority of the evidence that exists there. I'm telling you, it would blow your mind to see what is actually existing there. It is, it proves without a doubt that the entire narrative that's been thrown out about January 6th is a bold-faced lie. It's been made up by politicians. It's been propagated by the media. And um, yeah, obviously Jan 6 sham committee has just continued with that. Uh, they're burying the evidence. You, The American public right now, especially with the Republicans coming in, have to demand actual investigations because they are hiding information, even from the Jan Sixers that I've uncovered that show uh, that they, what actually happened. Um, this was, this was a plan. This was a setup start to finish. And there were innocent American people who walked into a trap and got attacked by their government. And subsequently there was a witch hunt and they went after all of us and they've ruined lives They've uh, caused people to kill themselves at this point. Um, somebody should be held accountable for that. But at the very least, America needs to demand the truth. They need to demand that this discovery is released to the public so that everybody can see what they have actually done, because this is a, one of the single greatest. Brian Mock, everybody uh, looks like he dropped off, but uh, Brian Mock can uh, find him online as well and I'll make sure Travis gets something up there for him but uh, you heard that you're hearing this from the people who were there on the ground um, we've got to wrap up now we are uh, running out of time but on this uh, anniversary of January 6th remember that there are political prisoners here in America and that nobody should ever be jailed just because somebody disagreed with them and because they showed up to exercise their right to assemble and their right of freedom of speech and to petition for a redress of grievances. Uh, I think that, that that's the message we carry today, that we need to be keeping these folks in our prayers. This is Matt Shea. Thank you for joining me on Patriot Radio today. God bless all of you, and he is making this generation the greatest one. Keep up the fight.